Diverse culture, unique sound. This is NOCO FM. Is it half full or half empty? And if, if you don't look at the half full all the time, I just think you're, you're doing yourself a disservice. Fort Collins has its own heroes. When I was growing up, Jim Opperman was one of them. From linebacker playing for CSU to professional football player for the Philadelphia Eagles in the NFL, to Fort Collins High School as a football coach and wrestling coach where I met him. I caught up with Jim Opperman some 30 years after I had last seen him strolling the halls of Fort Collins High School. Still an amazing and active coach, father, and inspiration to others. His story is one of a big man with a big heart. Welcome to The Spark. I'm your host, Stephanie James. Jim, I, I totally appreciate you being willing to be on the show. I think it's it's so cool because not only, you know, you're this Fort Collins, you've been this Fort Collins local guy at times. I know you don't live here anymore, but you were just a huge part of uh, my Fort Collins experience. And I know so many people that I know that were connected to you. And so it's it's just awesome to be able to have this opportunity to reconnect with you. Well, I, I appreciate it. So one of the interesting things that I was thinking about today is um, when I think about knowing you, when I first met you, it was my sophomore year of high school and I was a cheerleader and you were the varsity football coach. And so you came into my life in 1982. And it's that funny thing that when we're kids, we see teachers as so unidimensionally and that you only had that life. So you know, Fort Collins High was your oh. life. And so it was kind of like, you know, when you were kids and if you'd see a teacher at the grocery store, you'd freak out because you, you couldn't right. imagine, you know, that that teacher was so out of context. Like what? They have a life outside of, of, you know, Fort Collins High School. That doesn't even make sense. So but I know you had a huge life before you came to Fort Collins High School. And so that's part of what I wanted to talk with you about. I know that you had um, a career in the NFL and Fill me in a little bit before that. What what led to your kind of even back in high school and college career and then playing for NFL? Take us on that journey a little bit. Well, I'm from Lakewood, where I live now. And um, I was just a kid that liked sports. And um, I was from a real blue-collar family. My dad owned a, a company, a sheet metal company. And they... Uh, prefabricated uh, heating and air conditioning stuff. And so I, I just grew up with the family doing that. My dad also raced cars, so we were we, we did racing. And so we never did anything but racing. Races were all, always on Sunday, so we were always at the racetrack on the weekends. We never went camping or anything like that. But I just loved sports and um, started playing football and um Got into high school, and uh, at Lakewood, they were like a perennial state champion team. They were a powerhouse. And I was just another kid, uh, one of the bigger kids. Back then, big isn't what big is now. But um, just went and played football, and then I was a wrestler, and I wrestled, and I also ran track. And uh, I just... I, I was really in school for my sports as far as I was concerned. I just loved my sports. So I made sure my grades were good enough. I think I had a C average. Good enough to do well in sports. And I always thought, once I got out of high school, I always thought, gee, it'd be cool to be a pro football player. And the other thing I thought, it'd be really neat to be a teacher. So uh, I was lucky enough, I guess, in high school to um, be a pretty decent football player. I ended up making, I was an all-state player. And I got recruited by a lot of schools, ended up going to CSU. And um, as a wrestler, I ended up being the state champion my senior year. I was second my junior year, which was pretty good. And then I thought, it'd be kind of cool to be all state in three sports. And I'd been a high jumper in high school, and I'd, I'd jumped about six foot. And I went to my first duel, not duel, but meet. And I didn't even clear six foot, and I thought, holy cow. 
So I decided to run the quarter mile. And the quarter mile team I was on, we ended up taking second in state. So I ended up being all state in three sports. And um, I got recruited by a lot of schools to play football. Ended up going to CSU. It was between CSU and Nebraska. You could sign with any league you wanted, any conference. And Nebraska wanted me to be a center. And I didn't want to play on the offensive side of the ball. And CSU wanted me as a as a linebacker, so I ended up going to CSU. And that's that's kind of the start of that. I, I don't know if I answered your question. But. Yeah, you did. So so were you studying education at, at CSU along with playing on the CSU team as a linebacker? No one in my family had been to college that, that I know of. I mean, my uncle was, but in, in my direct family – Going to college was never even brought up in my house. Uh, I mean, I, I just figured, well, when I get out of high school, I'm going to go to work. And then, so this window was open for me that I didn't even know was there. So I got this opportunity to go do something I love to do. I love to play football. I, I mean, I love my sports. So I got to go do something that I love to do, and I got to get an education also. So that really was something that had never occurred to me, it had never been brought up. We never talked about anything like that. And no one really helped me make any decisions. I was just mm-hmm. kind of out there on my own trying to figure out. So when I went to CSU, they said, what do you want to major in? And it's like, well, I, I don't know. I said, I like PE. I guess I'll major in physical education. I mean, I just didn't have anybody giving me any advice about anything. So it was just kind of this young kid doing all this because I was I was the youngest boy in my class. I was a year ahead of myself in school, so I just was making these decisions. I was 17 years old when I went to college. Wow! So I was making these decisions based off of nothing other than well, I like this, so I guess that's what I'll do. And I love to play football, so I'm just gonna you know work as hard as I can. Once you were in the physical education program, did you find that, I mean, did you have teachers yourself that were inspiring that made you maybe want to do that when you got to college? No, not at all. It wasn't that another teacher inspired you. It was that you loved playing sports and you're like, okay, here I am. And I'm at CSU and I have this opportunity and Mm -hmm. and you didn't have any guidance. So you said, this is what sounds good to me. And- you went for it. 100%. Yeah, you went for it, and yeah. and it worked. Yeah, it, you know, I, I look back, and I always wish I had someone that would have given me some some advice. Think about this, think about that, but it, it, it never happened. Mm-hmm. So what, one of the things for me when I, when I got my job at Fort Collins High School is I always felt like it was important to touch base with my students mm-hmm. and give them advice and things to think about because I never had that. Yes. Yeah. So to become a mentor, not just their coach, well, not just their I, teacher. I, I didn't think of it that way. I, I mean, back back in those days, you never you didn't hear people talking about mentors. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I hear you. We didn't use that languaging, but in essence, that's what you were. No. Yeah. I was trying to do for others something that was never done for me that I thought was probably important. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. That's so, that's so great. So, so how did, how did you go from CSU to the NFL? Talk about that piece of the journey. What, what happened back then? It wasn't a big deal like it is now. I mean, it was, it was cool to go play pro football, but it, it, it didn't have the craziness that it has involved now. And there were 16 rounds that, uh, of the draft. And so the draft, uh, at CSU, I think we were five and six, five, six and one my senior year. We lost, we lost six games, no, four games by a total of six points. So, uh, you know, we, we were pretty good, but we just, we just couldn't get over the hump. And so it ended up, I think, out of my senior class, seven of us went to the NFL. And, um, my name had come up late in the draft from what I understand, but I had, I'd sprained my ankle during the year and missed a game. And so that kind of moved me back is what I was told. The draft was a uh, Friday night, but it was a Friday, Saturday deal. 
And um, I was I was working at the bowling alley. I was a bartender at the bowling alley. <laughs> and I got a call from my roommate. Saturday night, I was working. Um, right after the draft got over, I got a call from, from Atlanta and Philadelphia. Uh, they had called me, and they were interested in me coming and playing there. So, of course, I couldn't talk to them that night. So the next day... The next day, it was Sunday morning, I called both of them. And Atlanta wanted me to be uh, a defensive end. I was only about 230 pounds, 235 at the most, which I didn't think was very big for a defensive end. Philadelphia wanted me to be a middle linebacker. And I I had gone to see if she was a middle linebacker and then ended up playing defensive end because that's where the need was for the team. So... I got up that morning. I'm on the phone. I was in Philadelphia that day. They they got me an airplane ticket that day, and um, I was in Philadelphia, and they're walking around, showing me everything. They only had ten draft picks that year, and I was I was almost like their eleventh round draft pick, even though I wasn't. I was just a free agent, and so you know they told me everything, and they they offered me a contract of sixteen thousand dollars which was a lot of stinking money in 1974, I'll tell you. Oh, no doubt. So, uh, yeah, and, and they said, we'll give you $2,000 to sign. And I'm like, holy cow, that's kind of cool. So I end up signing with Philadelphia, and that's, yeah, that's kind of what happened. You know, and I came back, and then, you know, I was back home, I think, on Monday. And it was kind of a secret, because they said, well, we're not going to release this yet because of your scholarship. Uh, and I'm not sure what it was, but I, you know, that they had other people had to know that I had signed. So, so, but that's, that's kind of how it happened. Yeah. You go back in the summer when the season starts, they didn't have the, you know, the training camps or anything that they had nothing like mm-hmm. that. You just showed up for the two a days or three days, whatever it is they end up doing. And, uh, and then, then you go, it's so different now than it was then. But how exciting. How exciting for, you must have been a 21-year-old. I wasn't even 21 yet. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And you're getting flown to Philadelphia, getting signed. Yeah. I mean, what a big, huge deal. It was pretty cool. Yeah. So how long did you yeah. stay with Philadelphia? You know, I was only with Philadelphia for a year. Um I was I was the the lowest guy on the totem pole there. I was making the less money of anybody. Um, they kept fifty three guys on the roster. I think it was that year, and it was down five from the year before. So even in order to make the team, the odds were were, were really thin. And uh, what they would do is, is they would cut every Tuesday, mm. and um, so what would happen was is you would you would come into the locker room and you would slowly open your locker to see if your your bag of under undergarments was there clean. And you know, you would have a group of guys that were your buddies, and then all of a sudden you'd be the only one left out of your friends. Ah. So you would refriend up with some other guys. So I mean it was it was pretty crazy. So I, I ended up making the team. I, I had a couple opportunities to make the team. And you, I think I was lucky enough that I shined pretty well during those. We, we had one inter-squad scrimmage, and there was a guy that they had given a guaranteed contract that came for, in from, I think it was the USFL. And he was a tight end, and they threw him the ball, and I hit him, and I actually knocked him out. And so that got their attention, I guess. And we had a scrimmage with Baltimore. And I had I had six plays and I had five unassisted tackles and one assisted tackle. So I think that was probably why I made the team. Heck yeah, that's so, great. Uh, we weren't very good. We uh, we, were, we we lost. We were we were two and eight, and uh, we lost several games right at the end of the game on a field goal. Mm. We, we were in games, but we just couldn't win any games. And um, I had been having trouble with uh with my knees i was uh, that, that turf and practicing on the turf all the time was really hard on the knees they call um i uh, uh, tendonitis i had 
So I've been getting treatment on that. Well, after the 10th game, it was a 14-game season. Once you hit, I don't know, eight or 10 games, you have your certified year in. Um, and I came walking in after the 10th game, and the trainer guy says, go up and see Mike. And wait, you know when they say that, something's not right. Mm-hmm. So I, I went up there, and um, I took my my playbook they tell you to take your playbook and he says he said well i put you on waivers yesterday and um he said when you're two and eight things like this happen and i'm like holy cow so they cut me right toward the end of the season because of our record is what he told me Mm. and uh so i you know i went out in the hall and i ran into dick lebeau who was my special teams coach and i was on every special team and he didn't even know i'd been cut and so I ended up getting cut right at the end of the year. And um, they wanted me to come back the next year. That was when Levine, uh, Levine came in. No, is that his name? The guy that they won the Super Bowl with. Uh, Vermeil, I'm sorry. Vermeil came in the next year. And I had a contract to go there. And um, George Allen had called me on the phone from the Washington Redskins. And George called me and said, oh, I really want to redo my linebacking course. I really want you on the team, blah, blah, blah. And I was a little bit miffed. Again, nobody's given me any anything to think about. So um, I decide I'm going to go with Washington the next year. And I got cut the first cut. And I just went, this is, I, I, I can't, I can't do this. You know, I'm not going to play these games. You know, I'm trying to. I was doing something I loved, and I guess it just wasn't meant for me. So that was kind of the end of it. So what did you do after that? So after the Redskins? Well, I came back to Fort Collins. I started walking in and going to places and trying to find a job. Because I, I didn't finish my degree at CSU because um, I was just tired of you know all the work that we had to do. And um, so I found a I found a job downtown at a furniture store and I wanted to help them sell furniture. I just needed a job and uh, I ended up doing a lot of construction work for them. I knew how to do construction work and I was doing stuff like that. And then um, Guard Brothers was opening up there on South College and I helped them finish that. I I sold um, sporting goods at Guard Brothers for a few months, which didn't work for me. And then it buddy of mine told me about a construction job and I went and started helping building houses and, and that and I jumped around doing that and then um, I switched companies to another place that was building there on the corner of College and Harmony, that big building on the uh, southeast corner we were building that, it was a gym in it it was huge I worked a, a winter with them and I got sick three times that winter it was just so cold, and I thought, I can't do this the rest of my life. I, I really should finish my degree. Mm-hmm. So I got a hold of CSU, and I started working on my degree. And uh, then I ended up getting my degree in 78. A student taught at Pooter. I helped coach football at Pooter. A student taught at Pooter in the fall of 78. And then I got a call from Gene Conkey. Do you remember him? Oh, Yeah. So Gene, and you remember Torg, Arnold Torgerson. Mm-hmm. So Torg was the head wrestling coach. And Gene Conkey was his assistant. And Gene didn't want to coach anymore. And Torg said, well, you have to coach unless you find someone else to take your spot. And Gene had heard I was in town. And the only reason they knew who I was is I told you I was a state champion in high school. Well, Fort Morgan during that time was the best wrestling team in the state. They were state champions like three or four years in a row. And there was a kid by the name of Bob Bob Bragg that wrestled the same weight I did. And as a, as a junior, he was a sophomore. I was a junior. He was slated to be the state champion. And I, I pinned him in the semifinals and ended up taking second. So then senior year, him and I met again in the state championship match. And I beat him, and he was second. So they thought, oh, this Opperman guy is quite a wrestler. So that kind of followed me up there. And so I thought, shoot, I love wrestling. So I went over and coached wrestling there. And then there was a 
half-time job that changed to a full-time job the next year. And um, I ended up getting it. And then I was there for 15 years. That's great. So what year did you start? I started in 7980, I think. Okay. Okay. So you were a fairly new teacher when I was there. I was, I was, yeah, I was real new. Yeah, I was, I think I was 24 years old. Oh my goodness. And And, you know, I can remember the first, first class I had sitting up there in the gym talking to the class. I mean, I'm only five or six years older than than the (laughs) students. And I'm talking like I know what I'm talking about. And I was so nervous. I just, I don't pit out much, but oh man, did I pit out bad. (laughs) But it was what I wanted. So, well, I think that's that's so great because it's so funny. As a as a kid, you know, I I definitely uh, remember looking up to you as as you were just number one, such a grown up, and then number two, you you're a very big guy. You have a very big presence. So you you're kind of larger yeah. than life. Yeah. And and here you were feeling like a kid yourself. Hundred oh, percent. Oh yeah, yeah. But you couldn't you couldn't let on. Right. You know, you couldn't let off at all. You know, and right. I, I had I had a dad that was a tough man, a really tough man. So you know, I I, I, I have some of those traits, but I also have the traits of uh, I, I can be, I can be soft. I, they call me a teddy bear at times. I know when uh, I had my first banquet for wrestling when I was the head coach, we did it at somebody's uh, in their living room actually, and I'm standing up there. I'm talking about the kids, and I, I get emotional, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden I started, I started getting emotional, and it never happened to me before, and it freaked me out. And I just walked right, I would just walk right out of the room, walked over <laughs> into the kitchen, and I'm like, "What the heck happened? What is going on here?" <laughs> you know, and I had to get my stuff together, and I, I went back out there and finished it. But I, I get very emotional at my banquets and stuff, and. Certain things get to me. Well, and that speaks really highly of you, Jim, because it's, you know, you, you put your heart into your wrestlers, into your players. And so it is, it is at yeah. an emotional level. It is. I, I always feel like um, I want to help any, anybody that I work with. I, I want to help them have something to remember from their time when they can compete and be in school and all that stuff. You know, mm-hmm. memories for them, you know, because there's a lot of coaches out there that they're out there and they're, they're out there for themselves and, yeah. and they like to talk about what they did. And you know what? <laughs> what they did, they've already done. You've already done it. Mm-hmm. You're, you're there to help other people have have their their things for them. That sounded so intelligent. No, but that makes so much sense. I love that because it really is dropping out of your ego, which is it's all about you. And it's actually dropping into your heart where it's about what can I give and how can I give these kids an experience? It sounds like that you had where you just had this passion for sports and you loved what you did. And so you're allowing them to shine. You're focusing on how you can help them to accomplish their dreams right. and goals without having to, con- right. to, you know, continue like a lot of coaches just to make it all about you. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I every I, I don't ever talk about myself, to be quite honest. So every so often, the kids will come up and they'll look at me and they'll say, did you play in the NFL? And I'll go, where'd you hear that? <laughs> and, and I won't really ever answer them. I, I very seldom answer them, but they find out and then, then, then it goes away for a while and then it comes up. So it's, they like hearing about what you've done, but I, I just, I don't know. I just don't like, I, I don't think it's appropriate for me to carry on about what I did because that's, that's a long time ago. Well, I think it's it's cool that it can be a part of your past and that then it just becomes a part of that now what you have to offer, you know, to the kids that you work with and that, you know, it, it just becomes yeah. in part of your wisdom, part of your collective experience that you're then able to pass on to these kids. That's so true. Yeah. 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 I love yeah. that. What were some of your highlights, would you say, you know, being at Fort Collins High School? What 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 stands out to you that you remember? from that experience? I loved teaching at Fort Collins High School. I mean, I really did. I, I, uh, 
I learned a lot from Bob Deal. Bob Deal, you remember him? He was another PE teacher there. And he was a very organized, he was the baseball coach. And I, I was kind of a fly by the seat of my pants kind of guy. And I, I learned a lot about breaking things down and teaching kids how to go out and work with, with one another. When I was in high school, if you were big, you were just a big dummy. You're just a big dumb jock. Mm-hmm. And so when we would do stuff in class, you know, they would just tell us big guys. And we were, you know, I, I probably was the best athlete in my class, but I didn't think I was. I had mm-hmm. no idea that I was. What I wanted to do with my classes is make sure every kid got enjoyment out of the class and got out of the class what they could get. I don't care if you were the best athlete or the worst athlete. If you came in and busted your hump, you can get an A in my class as long as you're doing the best you can. And so I would break things down. Like you you take a basketball class, and so often they'll roll a ball out there, and they'll say, go play five on five, and you got two guys playing and three standing there twiddling their thumbs. Mm-hmm. So I, I would I would break it down. One thing that I would do is I'd break down drills, and we'd do drills, and they were fun drills, and we'd move from one drill to the other. But something that I did in these basketball classes is we would do this. this uh, it, it, it was a, a three-man weave drill where you, you weave your way down and make a basket. And what you have to do is you've got to pass the ball to the right. So you keep passing the ball back to the center and come around. And then they have to make a basket. And I would tell them they have to make 10 in a row. And you couldn't dribble the ball more than two steps. And if you had to pass, you had to pass it. And you couldn't put all the best guys in a group or all the worst guys in a group. And if you ran through the middle of the drill, I started you over. And I would, you know, we'd practice a little bit. And then we'd start doing it. And I'd count out loud. And it would sometimes take us three full class periods. And that's 50 minutes. To get there but what it did is it taught everybody that just because i'm not a very good athlete doesn't mean i can't be a big part of what we're doing here yeah. and it just kind of brought everybody together and then what we would do is then we'd pick two on two teams and you know there's six baskets in there so you got four in a basket we would play two on two and i'd tell them you can't have two basketball players together but other than that anybody can play and so you got two people playing. Well, if you and I are playing, I can't play by myself and you can't play by yourself. So what happens is we start learning to play the game and pass the ball and take shots and do this and that. So, you know, we did that. And so that, I, I thought that was something that was so good for the kids. And that's why they liked my classes. And then I, I put in a rugby class when I was there. We were playing full contact rugby out there. And I had a field sports class and we played off. Aussie rules football, uh, you know, we played team handball inside, we played hockey. I just introduced them to a lot of things that are out there that you just don't see. I even set up a Frisbee golf course around the building. Cool. We would go all around the building over there across the street in the park. And so I just tried to have stuff where everybody could get involved and just do the best they could. You know, and I, I love that, you know, the, the philosophy, it sounds like around all that was this thing of inclusion. And you might not be the big mm-hmm. jock, but you could participate and have fun in sports and alternative sports. Mm-hmm. And I just do what I do. It's neat to hear that it affects people the way it does, because you don't, from my point of view, I, I don't think of it that way, mm-hmm. but it's kind of cool. It is. I mean, it's like we never know the lives that we're touching when, when you're having those kind of attitudes, when you're bringing that kind of level of attention, when when you talked about the importance of being a guide or being, you know, someone that helps talk with kids about what they want to do and help them in making some decisions. That stuff was important. Yeah. It, you know, it really was important. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And, and again, that came just because I look back and I thought, why didn't someone tell me to go do this or to go do that? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I didn't know what I was doing and I was young anyway. Well, so, yeah. you know, and the other thing is, is you end up having, there's definitely kids that you connect with better than others. And you get some that you just are your favorites, but you don't want anybody to know who your favorites are. You want them all 
to feel like you're there for them. And that's something that I always really work hard at, making sure everybody gets a touch. Every day, I feel like if I wouldn't say something to every kid in the class, then I was doing a disservice to everybody. Mm. That's really cool. That is really cool. Because I know, you know, I, I, I even remember personally when I was at CSU and did some student teaching, it's hard because you can know, you know, you have an idea of who your favorites are, people that you naturally connect with. And so mm-hmm. to have that wherewithal and that awareness that even the the people that maybe wouldn't be your favorite personality types, that again, it's practicing that art of inclusion and and yeah. making sure that you connect with each individual. Yeah, it's so important. And, and, and it's good. It's, it, it makes you feel good, too. Absolutely. You know, because you learn some really neat things about kids that if you don't take the time to, to touch them each day, you would never know. Programming on NoCo FM is supported by its listeners and by Audible.com. With over 180,000 titles to choose from, Audible.com allows you to listen to an immense library of books for every taste on your iPhone, Android, Kindle, tablet, or computer. Audible.com has a special offer for listeners which includes a free audiobook of your choice and a 30-day free trial. Learn more and get your free audiobook now at noco.fm audible. Hey, I'm Jack from the radio show Punk Rock Demonstration, heard here on noco.fm every Tuesday and Friday, 10 p.m. to midnight Mountain Time and 9 p.m. to 11 p.m. Pacific Time. You can expect to hear punk rock, some interviews of your favorite bands, maybe some future favorite bands, and me ranting and raving, which is the best part of the show. You can tune in over your web browser at noco.fm or through the TuneIn app. That's Punk Rock Demonstration. There's this other part of your life that's really interesting. And what's amazing to me is not only are you, you know, this this kind of larger than life guy as far as being a big guy, a big presence in the world, but also you've kind of had this um, amazing, uh, you, you've had, you've dealt with some major health issues and you've overcome them. And, and from what I understand, you, you've done some amazing healing on your own. Can you talk a little bit about that? In 1985, I uh, found out I had cancer. So it was Hodgkin's disease. And so, um, you know, you find out you have this and you can't, <laughs> you don't know anything about it. So it was called Hodgkin's disease. And um, so they tell me I have this Hodgkin's disease and they're going to have to to stage me. So I go home and I look it up and I can't even find it because I can't spell it. <laughs> and um, I, I come back, come back to school the next day. And um, one, one of my wrestlers and football players came up to me. This gets to me a little bit. So he says to me, coach, he's I looked this up. And he said, I, he said, I looked it up in the encyclopedia. And I go, yeah, what'd it say? Pat? And he said, that's, you're going to probably die coach. So I said, Pat, I'm going to be fine. So uh, it was like, wow. So then they go and they, they have to stage me. And back then, the way you stage people was horrible. You, nowadays, you throw them in a machine, boom, they can tell you just what your staging is. Mm-hmm. But uh, they, they had to take and they had to give me a laparotomy and they cut me from from my, um, my sternum all the way down to my navel. Wow. They had to cut me open. And they took my spleen, they took about 18 to 20 nodes out, they took everything out and checked around, and then they put you back together. So they did that, they did that, um, they did this uh, this thing where they had to, it's a lymphangiogram, and they would cut the top of my feet right behind my toes, and they find the lymph vessels, and they're about the size of a hair. And so this one day, they had me laying on a table, and they, they did the one foot. It took two hours to get that thing in there to put the oil in. When they did the other foot, it took an hour and a half. Jeez. So I'm three and a half hours laying there on this table while they get this oil going up through my lymph system. 
Then I had to sit there for another half hour, 45 minutes, and then they do x-rays of you. So that that thing took, you know, four hours, whatever it was. Oh, my God. More than that. And then they went up and they did they did a bone marrow on me up, up in the room. And they go, oh, this bone marrow should take about 15 or 20 minutes. And they said, do you want anything for it? I said, no, just do it. You know, just numb it up right there and do it. Well, two hours later, they broke the thing off in my back. Two hours later, I went through this crazy thing and, and, and they did that. So they went through all this stuff. I mean, it, 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 it was it was brutal. The The staging was worse than anything I went through. And I felt really good when this all happened. I was feeling fabulous. So then they decided that um, I was stage three and I didn't have any symptoms. And stage four, usually if you get to stage four, you're in trouble. So I was pretty far in, but I mean, I, I, I always believe that everything's going to be fine. I mean, uh, you know, I, I don't, I don't like to worry about stuff. Just, Hey, let's move forward and let's do the best we can. And so I taught through the whole thing. I took very few days off. They set my schedule up where I could teach in the morning. And then the chemotherapy really kind of wears you out. Mm-hmm. And so I would, uh, the last period of the day I would have off and I would go downstairs. Do you remember the weight room that was downstairs? Do you oh yeah. Mm-hmm. I would go down and sleep in that office for about an hour before practice. And the thing that I found was you mentioned the word cancer and people freak out. I mean, I don't know if they do as much now, but they really freak out. And I found I needed to help people through what I was going through because they'd come up all freaked out, you know, and I'd just make jokes about it. I mean, and just, do that. I mean, when when I would go see my oncologist, I would I would go in every day with a joke for him. <laughs> every time I saw him, I'd tell him a joke because I knew how hard it was for him. So I never looked at it. It was hard for me. I kind of figured I got it because I can handle it. Mm. If that makes any sense. Yeah. And so um, that year, so I went through six months of chemo and three months of radiation in a year and the problem that i had the biggest problem of everything was the radiation i was too big for them to be able to ra- they radiated me from if, if you drop your head backwards from the chin all the way to the pubic bone the machine wasn't big enough they do it on the front and the back so i had to drive to Greeley every day for and the treatment's about 30 seconds on each side and they just radiate everything. Nowadays, they can pinpoint and only hit radiation where you need it. Right. But it's like a slow burn. So you have to go in every day for 25 days or something like that. And that makes a month. So I would have to drive to Greeley, you know, 30 minutes to Greeley for about, you know, two 30-second deals of radiation, then drive back and then go back to class. And they they had me on pills. And so they would give you... It was like you have to take 20 of this pill and 14 of this one and seven of this one and four of these. And I can remember sitting down the first morning and I took them all. It was easy to take them. And about two hours later, I was in throwing up, just throwing. So the next day, (laughs) I'm having trouble. I can't hardly get myself to swallow. But so I went through that quite a bit. And I, I kept getting sick from that. So I went through, yeah. So it was two months of chemo, one month of radiation, two, one, two, one, um, to get through the whole thing. So did all that. It took about a year. Everything was fine. And then about four and a half years later, I got it again. So, uh, so then they didn't need to stage you because they knew what you had. They knew what was going on. So they had to decide what they wanted to do. Because it's it's hard to decide why didn't this work and what what they figured out going back to the when I had it the first time finally what they started doing after about four or five months they would just put me in the hospital because I I just wasn't keeping enough of the chemotherapy in I think I was throwing too much of it up mm. and they would just knock me out give me four bags of chemotherapy and I'd 
go out the next day. So I'd go in on a Tuesday and I'd get out on Wednesday. So the next time they just decided you, they knew you were going to do me, give me a bone marrow transplant, which is really dangerous, or they were going to do six more months of chemotherapy. And they decided, let's do the chemotherapy because of all the problems you had the first time, we think maybe you just didn't get enough of your chemotherapy in. So I, I did the chemotherapy and um, got done with that. And it's not come back since. So, but it's caused other problems, you know, um, all that radiation um, really wreaks havoc on your body. And what was it, seven years ago? Seven years ago, I had to get a new uh, valve in my heart. So when you had that heart surgery, um, what I remember hearing is that you had, and, and was it because of the radiation, a much larger heart than normal? You know, I think from just being an athlete my whole life, I, I think I think I just have a large heart. Um, I, I played rugby for 40 years, and... I had a heart attack on the rugby field. I got I got a hit early in the game, and um, suddenly, boy, that was a good hit. And about you know, about halftime, it was right after halftime. I uh, just started feeling bad, and um, ended up I was seeing really weird. Long story short, on that is I was having a heart attack, and when they took me into the hospital. Um, of course, I didn't believe I was having a heart attack. It, didn't, it wasn't the normal signs. Mm-hmm. But I said to Lisa, <laughs> the doctor's saying, oh, he's having a heart attack. And I said to my wife, I said, I said, he says I'm having a heart attack. She says, you're fine. Just go on in there. And so we get in there. And for my size, they went in with the uh, stent that they put in. And the guy told me afterwards, he said, he said, the stent that I would think would be the right size was way too small. And they had to put a way larger stint in. So I, I just think that from being as active I've been, I mean, I've always been a three-sport athlete. I've been playing, like I said, rugby for 40 years. I play softball. I do all this stuff. I just think your heart's a muscle, and I just think my my muscle has gotten large. So when we went in to do the, uh, the valve, you pick your valves. So, you know, they have full valves. They have which old pig and ones that they make themselves. And so when you decide which valve you're going to have, then they've got extras. It's just like making a hamburger, you know, you have lettuce on it, you have cheese on it, you have pickles on it, you know, and so they can add extra things. I can't remember what the extra things are. So I didn't, of course, add everything because it gets pretty expensive. And so, um, they told me when I got out, he said, we went in there with the valve that we wanted for you and it wasn't big enough. And he said it was the second largest valve he's ever put in anybody. So I thought, well, I do have a big heart. And that so, is true. Yeah. That I, I think that's such a great, you know, it's, it's the truth of who you are and who you've been. And so it makes sense to me when I hear, when they actually looked at your heart, you actually <laughs> had a really big heart. <laughs> And I kind of take some pride in that. So that's, that's, that's pretty cool. I love that. I love that. So, I mean, so you've been through, you know, health issues, all these different things. I mean, you, you have a, a great deal of resiliency and grit. And, you know, I'm curious, Jim, for you, I mean, is there a certain life philosophy that that you would subscribe to or that you share with people? I suppose there is. I, I don't know if I can tell you what that is. Um, I, I just, I believe you have to be positive. I, I mean, I, I, I'm famous for telling everybody, you know, if I've got a, if I got a glass that's four inches tall and I got water at two inches, what would you say about that glass of water? You know, and, and it's still, it's, is it half full or half empty? And if, if you don't look at the half full all the time, I just think you're you're doing yourself a disservice, you know. And so I, I bring that up all the time. Um, there's there's this video. It's called Stop It, and I cannot think. Oh, I can't think of the name of it. It was it was a 
half-hour TV show um, back in the 70s, and the guy was a psychiatrist. He was a com- comedy guy, and I can't think of what his name is right now. Hmm. But it's, there's a video that I saw about eight years ago that when people start worrying and carrying on about stuff, it's just like, stop it. Mm-hmm. You know, look at this from the positive view, not not the negative view. So, you know, I just I just tell people just to be positive and think about what you can do, not what you can't do. I, I don't know. I, I said, and I think I just told you that. Well, and uh, yeah, obviously you do. I mean, here you're talking about going to chemo and you're, you know, you're the one that's, you know, building up the doctor. You're the one that's telling jokes to make the doctor feel better. You know, I I think that's pretty evident and that that you never gave up. I mean, you you kept playing sports. You kept playing rugby, it sounds like, which has been a life passion for you 40 years down the road. I mean, here you're working the entire time you're going through all this chemo. And so you've really lived that by example. And I know that, you know, your daughters weren't in your life at one point. And now, you know, I, I know because I've talked to each one of your daughters how much they adore you and are so thankful the relationship that you have. Tell me what that's been like for you. That's hard. That that's That was a really hard time. It was... You know, I had to make a decision. It was such an ugly time. And I was, you know, I'd never been involved with with courts. And all of a sudden, I get told I'm getting thrown out of my house. Someone called me that I barely knew telling me. And I get thrown out of my house and I'm like, are you kidding me? And I started getting taken to court and all this stuff, and just my whole world with my children was just taken away from me. And this is because and, you were going through a divorce for someone that wouldn't know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, because, yeah, they decided to get out of here, and I'm going to take the kids, and I didn't have any money. I was a school teacher. We, we don't make much money as a school teacher. And uh, she had a lawyer that was free, and they just kept... I would go to court and I would tell the truth and they would find against me. And, and every time I'd see my kids, it, they would just get drugged through things that I I couldn't control anything. But what I could control was is, is trying not to get them in a situation that was horrible, if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah. I, I, um, I had got the opportunity to interview for the football job at my old high school. And I'd always wanted to come back to, to Lakewood. And so it worked out that they hired me as the head football coach at Lakewood. And when I left Fort Collins, um, you know, I'd always wanted to bring my kids back to where I was from. And so it came to, came down here to Lakewood. And then, you know, you do visitation with the kids and the stuff that I saw the kids having to be put through because they wanted to see me, I, I just felt like I, I, felt I can't put them through that. And so I just kind of said, hey, if you don't want to come, you don't have to. And I don't know, I, 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 I don't want to I don't want to drag anything through the mud, but I just did what I felt was good. I mean, I've got a hole in my soul that will never go away. How long has it been since you've been? What's that? Been back with them. I said. I, I said. You know. You, you get over it. But things are really good with with me and the girls. I mean, it's awesome. We, we have a great relationship now. And how how long so, have you guys been reconnected? Quite a while. Many years. I. Well, it's got to be thirteen, fourteen. Quite a while. So you've got to enjoy this amazing part of their lives where you all are so connected and you're able to be with your grandchildren. Oh, yeah. And just really have a rich connection now. Oh, yeah. We get, well, Lisa and I, um, between the two of us, we have seven kids and we have 16 grandchildren. 
And so we'll bring them. There's, there's a whole bunch of them in Fort Collins, and we've got a pool in our backyard. we got a really cool backyard. And they'll come down for three to five or six days and just have a great time. So, you know, we, we, we get busy in the summer with different groups of grandkids <laughs> coming over. So it's awesome. That is awesome. And so even though, you know, and and I guess that's one of the reasons, you know, I I bring that up is not to bring up any kind of past wounding or past, you know, tender thing. But again, I think even with the girls, I mean, you've continued in your life, Jim, to overcome just incredible odds at times, whether it was the cancer, whether it was a painful divorce, being away from your children, and yet you've kept this, you know, positive attitude and you've just kept going so you end up in the end you're the one that has the really close connected relationship with your kids with your grandchildren i have heard that you're still coaching and still doing yeah. the things you love to do tell me about that what what are you continuing to do last year i coached football uh, at mullen um the head wrestling coach at fairview high school last year was my 40th year as a wrestling coach and um, I coach rugby at Lee Ridge High School, which I've been doing since, oh boy, 85. So, um, yeah, I, I, I keep coaching. Yeah, I'm not going to coach football this year. They had a change in the people there. So I'll be doing wrestling and rugby this year. And then I'm also going to be working at um, Fairview High School half-time as one of the security guys. Oh, fun. be good. You know, be able to con- you know stay in contact with the kids a little bit better, and and then I also sell real estate. You don't have a lot of downtime. You you keep yourself extremely well, busy. I, I'm retired, but I. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, I stay pretty busy. I, I think it'll be nice this year to not coach football, although I'll, I'll miss it a bit. But um, yeah, it's a uh, Lisa's going to retire at the end of this year. Uh, she's the principal secretary at Fairview, and okay. so I'm thinking maybe I'll I'll just decide to I might be done coaching after this year. I, I don't know for sure, but that's that's kind of the way I'm leaning right now. And then we can enjoy the kids and the grandkids more without having to worry about going to work. And and what's yeah. ahead when you think of retiring? What else besides kids and grandchildren? What's what's ahead for you? Well, we love to travel. Um, I play rugby for the Boulder Rugby Club, and we've been we've been to Europe and to Chile, and we've been all over the place. We've been all over the world playing rugby and doing that. We've seen some really cool things around the world, and I think we just would kind of like to continue to travel and maybe be able to take you know some of the kids and the and the moms and dads and go do some things and I don't know, just that kind of stuff. That sounds wonderful. Yeah. Just enjoy life and keep being active. You're going to keep playing rugby. Well, I just got a new hip three months ago. (laughs) And, and so it's funny you bring that up. I I was supposed to have an appointment with the uh, hip doctor that got messed up. So I wrote him and I, I wanted to know, you know, what my restrictions were, and he tells me what I should and shouldn't do, and what he thinks I'm doing and what I'm doing are, like, pretty far apart, but he basically said that I didn't have any restrictions, and I said, interesting question, Um, I said, when could I probably play some rugby? (laughs) And he wrote me back, seriously? So, you know, I, I'm, I'm hoping that I'll be able to play a little bit of rugby next year. Wow. So, that is awesome. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's kind of the plan. And just, yeah, just enjoy ourselves and have fun with the kids and fun in the backyard and see stuff. Well, I just, I appreciate this time, Jim, so much. I just, I feel like even though maybe at the onset, if you didn't know, you know, what all you had to share, you have a tremendous amount to share and just really an incredible journey of what you've gone through in your life, a kiddo that didn't have direction 
and then, you know, just continue to progress throughout your life and take the best that life had to offer and then give back the best that you have to offer. I think that's amazing. Thank you. You can't help people. What can you do in this life? I mean, really. Absolutely. And and that sounds like that's why you've coached for so long. Yeah, it's it's so rewarding to take kids and bring them together and turn into a team and have this camaraderie and have this vision that you're all working for and make it happen. And, you know, so many people say, I, I want, I want these kids to like me. And it's like, I, I, I want the kids to thrive. And if that means I got to jump in their fanny, I'm going to jump in their fanny, but I don't do it in a way that I don't like them. It's just, I'm making them responsible to themselves and they got to do what they got to do. And then I'll pat them on the back and hug them and love them up afterward. But you know, you just don't see enough of that anymore. You know, you gotta tell them this is what you got to do. And then you kind of force them to do it. And then when they're done, they're so proud of themselves and they're so happy with what what they've been able to accomplish. And I'll always tell them, I said, I'm going to make you do more than you think you're capable of doing. Mm -hmm. And, and, and they will, you know, going back to that year when I was going through the chemotherapy, that first time the wrestling team, they were league champions. Those kids found a way to do stuff that I don't think they knew they could do, but they saw what I was going through. Mm-hmm. And I think they thought, gosh, if coach can do this, I think I can do this. Wow. So that is awesome. So that, that inspiration yeah. continues today and even yeah. not keep coaching football, being able to help kids. It sounds like, you know, find that within themselves. Like you said, they didn't even know that they had and to dig a little bit deeper. Yeah and learn how to join together and be a team. I mean, those are skills that they will then have the rest of their lives. And and those skills work with anything you do in your life, work, whatever relationships. It's, it's all, it all comes together. It's fun to talk about stuff like this. You know, like like I said, I don't like to talk about stuff all the time, but it's, uh, it's, it's neat. I've enjoyed talking with you, Stephanie. I love talking to Jim because he's so down to earth. His story is so inspiring to me because um, he's overcome so much adversity in his life. I mean, he's had a hip replacement, he's had heart surgery, he's overcome cancer, and the whole entire time he had this kind of rough, unguided childhood, if you will, and he overcame incredible obstacles, guiding himself at such a young age, being 20 years old and being in the NFL, and then going from there Um, to discovering another passion of his, which was working with youth and being in high schools. And so coaching and mentoring and, you know, inspiring these kids to be the best they could be, to, to play their best. And I loved his whole idea of inclusion, where he is bringing people together, these kids, some of them were the best athletes and some of them, they didn't know what they were doing. They, they were not athletic at all. But when he was talking about playing two-on-two basketball, that's what was important, that he combined the athletes with the kids that weren't as athletically inclined. So nobody felt like they were the loser. Everybody was a winner. And he said, everybody gets a touch. When he had his classes in PE, he made sure every single kid was spoken to, was acknowledged. So they had that message that they mattered. So all of that combined with this amazing, huge heart that this man has was so inspiring to me that no matter what we go through in our lives, that we can contribute in whatever way that we can and we can help guide people through whatever difficulties. Oftentimes, you know, it's true. Whatever our deepest wounds are become our greatest gifts. So the fact that he didn't have a lot of guidance as a child, that became his greatest gift now to all these children for the last 40 years. He's become that guide. He's become that guidepost and has helped light the way for so many. Remember, The Spark is your show too. If you have questions, feedback on the show, or if you're going through something and need a little help, we'd love to hear from you. 
Continue the conversation with us at our website, thesparkpod.com, and on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. New episodes of The Spark air Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Mountain, and podcast episodes are released the same day. To make sure you don't miss an episode, subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, or wherever you get your podcasts. The show is not a substitute for professional care by a doctor or other qualified medical professional and should not be considered medical advice. If you're having a mental or physical health crisis, please seek treatment immediately. The Spark is produced by NOCO Media Limited, which is solely responsible for its content. Thanks again for listening. This has been The Spark, igniting your best life. I'm Stephanie James. This has been a production of NOCO-FM.